talking about something that you don't understand, you have a terrible, uncomfortable feeling called confusion. It's a very difficult and unhappy business. Uh, Welcome to the Republic of Consciousness Prize podcast for small presses winner special brought to you from the University of Westminster's Contemporary Small Press Project. This year's prize for small presses was awarded to both CB editions for Murmur by Will Eaves and Galley Beggar for Lucia by Alex Phoebe. Both winner novelists are with me in the studio. Hello. Hello. Uh, The podcast has discussed both books previously, so I wanted to uh, focus on a few more kind of general aspects of the novels, um, uh, at least to my mind. Uh, But if we have any new listeners, Murmur is a novel that both does and doesn't feature the mathematician Alan Turing, and Lucia is a novel that both does and doesn't feature Lucia Joyce, the daughter of James Joyce. Um, We will talk about kind of creative choices later, But first, I want to discuss something that Alex and I talked about a while back, which I think is kind of um, uh, relevant to both novels, and that is uh, agency. Um, We were talking uh, in a pub, um, and we were talking about my novel, which I'm going to get to plug by saying, because you you seemed very shocked that I, as a novelist, had invested... Um, my characters with a sense of agency, as though what they did had meaning or could affect anything in the world. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what I wasn't you... so much shocked about that. I mean, I know I've, I've read books and I know hmm. that people do uh, have characters who do seem to act in the world and uh, that has an effect. I think I was, it was one of those kind of uh, flashes of inspiration about myself more than anything. And I was thinking, well, I really don't feel like that. And consequently, no one in my book seems capable of anything much. And it was through reading your book that I, that was made very obvious to me. I was thinking, well, these people uh, are capable of things, capable of acting uh, appropriately to their character in the world. And that has ramifications and they feel confident about I mean, particularly the lead character mm. feels confident about their ability to, to affect change. And I think, I can't think of instances where I've written anything like that. Uh, And I was thinking, well, why is that? Because, I mean, presumably people imagine that they are of an order, uh, human being-wise, that that is sensible and amenable to the world as it is around them. So why don't I feel like that? (laughs) That's not what I felt. (laughs) But actually you said said something, you, 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 you actually said that anyone who does take an action in the world that action ultimately is going to lead to destruction and chaos and death I think <laughs> I, I, I think that? I think how much I had to drink that sounds well, like I suppose that's just entropy isn't it yes. well, well, exactly yes yes I mean do, I mean do you have a view on agency um well uh it's a tricky one isn't it because I think the circumstances that both novels both Alex's novel and mine describe are in themselves about um, people or, or avatars of real people or versions of real people whose agency is severely circumscribed mm. by those circumstances. Um, you know, and in a way, that's the drama, certainly, of Turing's position in the early 50s, is that this is a person who's um, made his bread and butter and done the state a service by um, 
investigating determinism, the limits thereof, and breaking the Enigma code. And then he finds something verily eerily uh, similar happening to him as a physical person because his agency, to use your word, is really taken away from him. And not only is his agency taken away from him by his punishment, organotherapy mm. for mm. sleeping with a man, mm. but um, but actually his manhood is taken away as mm. well. And, and all the other um, features of his humanity and his gender, all the appurtenances of gender are, are, are shrunken and destroyed. And now I don't know whether there's an analogy or any point of connection in that experience to what it is just to be a a writer producing characters who have seeming agency some of the time, possibly some. I mean, in the in the post postmodern world we live in, uh, writers are very interested in this at the moment. But of course, it's an old problem. Mm. And actually, Dorothy L. Sayers writes about it very, very well in a book called The Mind of the Maker. Oh, really? Where she sees an analogy between um, God imparting free will to his creation and the novelist um, creating characters who have seeming mm. um, agency and free will. I mean, the, the, the Tolstoy was particularly good, I think, at creating characters that almost within a few sentences you feel stride out of the page, off into real life, and... Uh, I mean, aren't, aren't novelists just just? But aren't they aren't they really just? We're describing something that is is true of our lives. It's a it's a that's just it's a representational thing, you know. Which is that we feel sometimes we can affect things, but very often we can't because the world acts upon us to remove uh, our effectiveness. Our you know. But as but writers often talk about characters kind of gaining a sense of agency or well, maybe not in, in characters in mm. your in your sense but characters gaining a sense of agency on the uh, and 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 that the writer follows that character and that character starts making decisions for and of themselves now i know that obviously that isn't the case but but it can feel like that can't it Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think that's just a a kind of weakness in people's ability to make metaphors. I think that I know what they mean. But Mm. again, there isn't a character and there isn't. They aren't writing themselves. And the act of writing requires that one word follows another. And whether it remains there in the editing process is is another thing. Um, but I don't think writers are great unless they've they spent a lot of time reading Dorothy L. Sayers or anybody <laughs> else who has written kind of meta approaches to their own practice. Mm. They aren't great at self-examination um, often. I think largely through fear that examining their process will lead to it evaporating somehow. Um, so I wonder, I often hear people saying that. I think what they really mean is, is that um, they hadn't predicted what they were going to write mm. yeah I I, yeah I, I also i think i just i like the moment in writing where what you've done becomes strange to you mm. which yeah. happens often quite quickly yeah right and of course as you write more cumulatively it becomes strange yeah. <laughs> yeah um um and i think that's partly because you're oh god what's that technical word what you're Oh, philosophers reifying it, aren't you? You're yeah. taking an ab- you're taking a thought yeah. and you're turning it into something real on yeah. the page, or at least you know black and white. And I think that means that you've you know you've closed down a lot of options in doing that. So y- you've 
you focused the lens when you write. Mm. You're, you're, it's a, it, writing is focusing, really. That's mm. what it is in many ways. It's, it's, you, you start out with a sort of blurred plane mm. and then you have to pick out images from the plane mm. and you have to kind of move in. And I think that because you are then populating something, it can. It, 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 I understand that thing about writers feeling then that their characters have their own sort of sense of will and creation. Mm. And in a way, I'm not so interested in whether or not that is true. And there, mm. there are actually in the world of AI, there's an interesting discussion about you know, if ev if really we're all part of a big computer program, mm. it. It makes no difference, really, whether there is something outside that or not, because as far as we're concerned, we are we are programmed so so far as to feel that we have agency, yes. and that is enough. Mm. You know, and that that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you use that metaphor, certainly, if you're imagining, okay, well, this is what there is, and it doesn't really matter what the ontological basis of that yeah. is, then. Then fine, but I think that it's one of those, you know, not wishing to get postmodern as opposed to post postmodern. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not wishing to get postmodern, but there is a sense that though that sense of agency in the world is problematic, particularly when it seems to rest largely with men who look like us. Yeah. Uh, largely of the past, thankfully. One of the reasons I think sometimes why I feel like my characters don't have agency is because I think we're passing out of the phase in which we as a as a body have agency, which is probably for the good. But that sense that there is if you are if you feel it, then it is intuitively correct. Um, ignores a whole bunch of ideological programming that comes in through at the level of the state or at the level of language mm. or at various other kinds of, of, uh, of ways which you're made blind to if you only consider those things that you feel programmed to do. If the programmer is programming you to be a fascist, then it's up to you not to be a fascist, yeah. <laughs> regardless of whether your yeah, programmer is programmed you to think do it. I don't think the, I, the idea of it is that you are, uh, because you're determined, you then... Um, the interesting contest is, is, is yes, pr precisely between that sense of volition and mm. the fact that it is all, it is all program. Because of course, a program doesn't mean that unexpected things no, can't sure. happen. Um, I, I mean, I, the other. Can I just sort of introduce mm. something else which I think is very important in, in, in this whole idea, which is you know the reader. There's what you think you're doing, and there's what someone else gets out of it. Mm. I, I, I don't really. Um, I'm sort of painfully aware that in the writing process, I, there's something I feel I'm doing and I'm writing and working very hard to get right. Um, but the reader is a is another person, and my attempt to anticipate mm. is, is likely to be their response is likely to be wrong, yeah. and hopefully, interestingly, wrong. Yeah, I mean that's certainly something um, that I feel during the writing process. I try to ignore. I don't know about you. I mean, it's, it's like, well, because of that, yeah. because of the, it's something unpredictable and something that I think if in, in my attempts to predict that unpredictable thing, it reifies the imagined response that the reader is allowed. Yeah. So I try not to imagine too much, but, even an ideal reader. But, but can, I, can, I, can I come in there? Because you have said that, that you're, you're doing something slightly more than that, aren't you? Because in, in Lucia, you are inviting the reader to have or to to have a sense of their own encounter with the text mm. it's you you are you are pushing buttons aren't you and saying um i mean i can't remember how you described it to me but you're you're you, 
when we're reading it, we are we are we are finding out about ourselves. Yeah, quite sure. explicitly. Yeah, but then I can't. I wouldn't be in a position to dictate that process to you. All I can do is is essentially document the process by which I came to conclusions one way or another about source material. So if you present me with the story of Lucia Joyce, for example, or mm. whatever documentary mm. evidence exists around her life, that was how I responded. Right? Right. Now, obviously, post that, mm. the, there's a, a situation in which you try and make uh, an aesthetic object out of that. Mm. And sometimes that is working with your assumptions of what a reader's assumptions of this text would have been before they picked it up. Uh, and essentially, I mean, particularly with Lucia, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth because none of those things that you may have expected to be in front of you are in front of you. But what instead is in front of you is a whole angry tirade about why it is you shouldn't have expected those things in the first place. So there, there is that. But I think when it comes to imagining what that process looks like from the reader's yes. end, then I, I don't know about Will, but I have to, I have to abnegate that responsibility and just, I mean, more selfishly, write whatever it was I felt like writing, I mm. think. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I, it's a tricky one. Isn't it? I don't know increasingly. I mean, my MO is I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> but I, I, um, I often write to someone, interestingly. I suppose I don't. No, I don't think about the reader in the abstract mm. at all. But I do often think about a particular person. Okay. I mean, I think that one of the things I've, I've used quite often to get rid of the cramping fetters, you know, mm. as, a, as a writer and as a person, really, is, is writing letters. Mm. Um, I think the notion of bringing someone who you feel has you know, cross part of the way of the gap in, un in understanding between two different people who knows you very well, but also let, is not in some sort of contractual relationship with you and is, and is a, a pen pal far away. That's very powerful for yeah. me as a, as a means of address. It's beautifully done in this. I mean, you between know. Alec and June, those, yes. those letters are exquisitely written. Well, that's very, very kind of you. I mean, mm. I, I actually, you know, but that's part of, I think, how I write full stop mm. is that I'm all, I'm, often thinking about actually i'm thinking about my friend bridget who mm. who has read a lot of my work and and whose even her silence is a response and of course most people for whom you ultimately write are you know yeah. are silent in response and I, I i i struggle really to character characterize that um just improvising here and thinking about it. it it simply seems to me like a sort of rather than a cloud of unknowing it's a cloud of knowing mm you know, that I can write towards that seems to be a safe repository mm. um, of possibility. I hadn't really know. thought of that at all, but I think I do something similar. I think, But it's not with someone alive and consequently they can't answer back. But I've always had a, a hard time dealing with my relationship with my father, not to get too psychoanalytic about the whole thing, but who's dead. Mm. So, um, and particularly that, that view of the world that I think he would have approved of at some point. Yeah. I mean, he was a Maoist and... Uh, <laughs> um, well, it would take a long time to describe <laughs> <laughs> what he was like. But essentially, his, his, he, he wasn't happy with the way the world was. And I always think, and not that I'm both writing against what he wanted and for him as a kind of way of proving myself, if I'm, if I'm looking that deeply into it, which might account sometimes for the, for the anger inherent in it 
and I think and also the the sense of of impossibility and and I don't know a kind of like well it's it's interesting because it's power because the book because your book you know Lucia it seems to me it's it it is uh, yes you know we know that you know she spent the last thirty years in in an asylum and that that adult life is a tragedy but often the part that moves us about these people who end up you know, in in extremists like that, is that they obviously there's shattering events in their childhood, mm. and it's the irretrievability of those formative years. You know, both for all of us, yeah. and particularly for this person who was then further silenced. Mm. That is that's very moving. Yeah. Um, and of course, it does make you angry. Is in anger so interesting, isn't it? Uh, Howard Jacobson once said that you know you've. Um, you kind of got to be angry to be a writer, and I, I used to think, oh, I just don't know that's true at all, <laughs> and and now I think I know what he means. It's it's not necessarily means you've got to lack compassion. It means that you have got to have some sense somewhere going on of voicelessness. Mm. Mm. You know, it has to trouble you that whether it's in the world or or a character or you voicelessness has to be in what that means for someone never to be able to speak yeah or yeah. answer back and you've done that explicitly in lucia mm. um you know we've talked about before about you you know you've you extract her and i mean you know will, will did something which kept alan chewing quite close because the avatar is is closed but you've but you did something much more extreme which is to is to, to take her away in t- almost entirely. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think. Did, I mean, did, did, was that did, sorry? Did that come from a process mm. of did you did you arrive there or did you start there and then have to work out how to do it? Um, again, it was more of a of a intuitive response on my part. I began the book. Well, I began the book thinking that I, I'd, as I've said before, I'd make a silhouette. Mm. So I'd I'd, I'd write. Mm in in the edges of someone and see if you could see them in the gap mm. that was left behind so i had that as a kind of structuring idea or metaphor mm. for my own writing while i was doing it and then the more i researched and the more i wrote and the practice of sitting down daily and thinking what to write um i could never feel comfortable writing lucia's part right mm. which was i didn't attempt to but i did feel quite keen on on inhabiting those very unpleasant worlds around her Mm. in one way or another not not to dwell on them and to get some kind of vicarious misogynistic pleasure out of it but more just to address that sense of anger i think that was coming Mm. through and if we're talking about i think anger's is a is a very it's a a driving motivation uh, emotionally which i mean love is too but in, in a much slower and and kind of more um, holistic way, for want of a better word. Whereas when you're coming to write um, novels, I think you need something that's going to push you forward in very specific ways. And I sometimes think that anger is good for that, which mm. might be one of the reasons why people think that anger is good for a writer. Because it's a long, slow, often boring process, particularly in the edit. And you need something <laughs> driving you. I mean, it's interesting you say that, you know, both you say that Lucia is, is kind of ab- in a way absent in the book because 
I think I, I read it. You said there's, you know, there's, there's there are various experts talking about parasitology and tapeworms mm. and there's the dentist who takes the teeth out, the, the doctors and the orderlies who perform the hydrotherapy and all, all very kind of quite explicitly and distressingly described, very brilliantly described as well. Um, but funnily enough, because there's this funny thing with the voice in the book, which is one and you largely. Mm. So it's mm. impersonal third person and a depersonalized second person mm. as a dress. You, you sort of feel that it's all Lucia. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, hence the, the beginning. Um, each of the chapters has its own um, voice, essentially. Those aspects of the Egyptian soul. Yeah. Use again as a metaphor, and something that has been overlooked is, but also that something sense, that's schizotypal. Yeah, quite. I mean, it's that, that those very specific elements of a putative identity that Lucia that I'm using to speak about the things that happened to Lucia, manner the texts in in the way that those those um, aspects of a personality might do if they were let off the rein post-death looking yeah. back on the material yeah. right which is a very complicated mm. you know even in the in one sentence it, it seems complicated and difficult to pass but um that was essentially the idea so in as much as lucia uh, exists in the text it does so in a very fragmented um mm. focalization of the of the material right that's true i mean yeah. but i think on the narrative level certainly there is an attempt then not to focus on the events and actions that might give you your usual sense of who someone is moving through a procedure like yours like um, alan turing's uh, observations of himself in the mirror and thinking about times that have gone past and these those kind of dreamlike sections in which things have a symbolic meaning that is not obvious and may be coded or may just be random those kind of slightly psychoanalytic um, elements in in murmur i mean i think those there's a substitution for your general understanding of narrative order with a kind of code. Yeah. Right, I, I mean, I think the way I sort of ended up thinking about it was, uh, and I, maybe this is just a common thing also in, in writing narrative, is that you've got two possibilities mm. when you sort of you know write forward into a book, and mm. it's particularly a long thing. One is a series of yeah. episodes or chapters, and the other is a sequence. Mm. I mean, there's a difference between a series and a sequence. Yeah. You have to <laughs> you know, work out a, the um, A sequence has interrelationships, yeah. exactly, and a series doesn't doesn't have to have that. And, yeah. of course, that's the essence of code-breaking. Mm. Is this is this um, line of symbols yeah. randomised? Well, this is exactly... Or, or I, mean, is I think not? it's also I mean, something that I try and do in Lucia as well with, by playing off the chapters uh, against their... Uh, stand firsts and the preliminary pieces of writing there as if it's a kind of codifying of, mm. the, of the narrative with the narrative removed. So if you wanted to re-establish the narrative, you could, if you were to have gone back and found what it was that I was particularly thinking about at that time and the way that I then manipulated that material so that it came out in the form that it does in the book, rather like you would do with a code and a code sheet. Yeah, um, it would be possible. It'd be pointless, and and I'm not sure that you'd you know it would reward the effort. But it's not impossible. I think there's also something in there that's that's also much more emotional, you know, if you like, and and, and human in that sense, which is that um, responsibility mm. uh, 
is all about establishing relationships, you know, between the things you've done and their effect on other people. Mm. And people who, who um, lack responsibility, which is another type of agency, mm. um, don't see that connection mm. between things they've done and consequences in the world. And learning about the consequences of your actions and your thoughts is, is extremely important. And some people never learn it. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's very, very distressing when they don't. I mean, I have, you know, not to... I, I have a, I have a, a mem member of my family is, um, you know, just lives in a very solipsistic world. Mm. And it's very, very hard to reach him. Mm. Um, one wants to, and he wants to be reached. Mm. But it's very difficult. Yeah. Can I just uh, because there were there were there were three novels on the shortlist um, that might be called fictional biographies, Kitch, um, Kitch as well. Um, th that was a slightly more traditional uh, uh, kind of novel um, or fictional biography. I mean, what are, I, I mean, we're kind of talking about this, but just talk me through the kind of ethics of choosing a real person and and making creative decisions about how to tell their story is there is there is well i i mean i, I yeah i i think i have well it's not a, a possibly simple minded but not not a simple response and that's simply that i was aware that if i'm tackling part of the story of alan turing i'm dealing with a very brilliant person and I didn't want to be in that sticky situation in which I was attributing to a very brilliant person who's made extremely important interventions <laughs> in scientific history, yeah. words that he would have absolutely, you know, uh, we would have had him, you know, yeah. getting himself all over again. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so to me, it was important to enforce uh, a distinction right. and give myself some latitude to imagine. Right. Yeah, so I think... Uh, you know, the, the ethics are important, um, but they vary. They're different f for everyone. Um, I think that, you know, ethics is... It's the social dimension of morality, OK? Yeah. And so that means you do, I think, have a responsibility to um, what other people will make of it in that sense. Sure. Uh and you can't know and you can't fully satisfy, but you can take appropriate measures. And I guess we've come at it in different ways. I've, I've chosen an explicitly an avatar mm. and you, Alex, have, as you said, you've, you, you, as it were, you've emptied out mm. the person and written in from the outside. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it is a problem. I mean, I think, I think it's a problem more for Lucia than it is for Murma. I think you've done a very good job of... of um, both saying things about Alan Turing and also keeping a respectful distance. I'm not sure I always did that as well as I ought to have done in Lucia. And it's something people have picked me up on. Um, and I, I think it's profound. I, it's prof well, I, I felt it was, a, I'm not you know, just saying because we're in a cosy podcast, mm. I felt it was a profoundly compassionate book. Yeah, so did um, I. But then I also saw that. Well, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think, but it was getting very close at times. To, it was compassionate to some people and less compassionate to others. I think. Mm. I mean, if if I'd have been Giorgio, for example, I don't think I'd have found the portrait that, such as it is, that mm. gets constructed around him, despite the fact that it isn't about him, um, compassionate at all. I'd have found it probably quite disgusting. Mm. Um, and I don't know. My I had questions of that 
of, of, of should I do this or not running through my head the whole time I was writing it. And I don't think I satisfactorily answered to my own uh, satisfaction um, whether what I did in the end was right. Um, it's a really hard one. Yeah. I think. I, I, you know, because you, you, you know, you know that you're doing something from a position of privilege. Hmm. I remember once I did a, um, some, it was a radio interview and, uh, A.S. Byatt was on it and she said pithily and slightly waspishly, but correctly, Mm. uh, that, you know, writing about real people, particularly people in your family, uh, is an exercise of power, Mm. you know, which I I didn't like, but of course she was right. Mm. Um, I still don't know, though, whether that means you can't or shouldn't. No, well, my feeling was that what I what I tried to do as a way, because I understood this was going to be an issue as I was editing. But I wasn't, wasn't too worried about it as I was writing. But I did try and restrain myself and uh, edit out parts that I that I knew weren't already in the public record. Right. So yeah. there were issues. I mean, it's it's similar to, to renaming a character, but to I felt like I probably pushed the responsibility out onto the academic understanding of Lucia Joyce and the biographical understanding of Lucia Joyce and, and Lucia Joyce exists as an archive of, of remains and use that, use those material that was extant in that um, as opposed to make making suppositions that existed just in me, right? So most of the material, whilst it has been amped up, particularly in the rabbit torturing scene, for example, um, has been amped up in the text. They are things that people had already said um, about their relationship. So I felt as as if at least I was being kind of uh, honest to the public record and talking about the things that have been said about Lucia uh, even though I felt uncomfortable about interposing myself into that kind of private space. I think one of the things, just thinking about it and mm. listening to you, one of the problems, I think, for a, for a writer, one of the ethical problems, is that we are both writing about situations in which other people, the people who are not Alan Turing and Lucia mm. Joyce, felt they had permission to do awful things. Yeah, quite. To people who then became... Sure you know, subjects, really. Um, And, of course, this is what happens uh, very commonly. Mm. Uh, This is how countries slide into ruin and and fascism, because if there's a sort of sufficiently plausible authority Mm. that permits things to happen, then those things will consequently happen. The trouble is, as a writer... You are giving yourself permission to yeah, do things. This is that, I think this is the difficulty. Yeah, I think that then it's it's beholden on you as a writer post publication, then not to stand arms crossed saying, "Well, fuck you all." That yeah. <laughs> I do what I like yeah, due to yeah. my artistic. And no, I, you know, I, I, I really you, agree. Yeah. I really agree with that. I think you have to kind of, uh, yeah, you have to sweat that one out yeah. and face up to it if people don't like it and, and think about it. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, and going forward, I mean, I've, I'm sure all of us here uh, haven't given up writing and consequently i think it's 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 a process by i've which always you come given to up writing yeah, <laughs> i've always got to wish i had i've got yeah. a load of edits to do uh, <laughs> i'd rather oh do without them um but i think that it's the process of coming to terms with your place in the world as a writer and your place uh, and with 
terrible things as they happen in the world and whether it's it's beholden on you to to kind of bite the bullet and go into the world doing the thing that you felt was appropriate at the time that you wrote the book even if that makes you look like you've done something wrong or even if you have done something wrong Can because I just, what are we uh, people who don't do anything wrong but i, I mean, just want to i want to i want to I want to massively simplify it down okay. to the no, just down to the idea that, that on some level, do you feel so? There's a creative endeavour, but is there also a kind of endeavour where you where you are you do think on some level you are setting the record straight? I mean, uh, I, yeah, no, it's a good question. No, mm. is the answer. I don't think I'm. I mean, I, the whole the whole basis of my anxiety is that um, I don't want to muddy the record. I think but it's that, interesting because what's his name? Um, <laughs> I can't believe I just called him what's his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam. Adam Mars Jones <laughs> said <laughs> said something like, "Oh, you've reclaimed Alan Turing for gay men." I said, no, "I really haven't. That's not a, no. You know, I, it's it's about philosophy of minds, and it's and mm. and I don't I don't feel I don't feel I have the." You know, I'm not in charge of the record. No. And I don't feel I have the ability to do any of that. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that inevitably when you when you do something, write a book or act or go on a march, you know, one hopes that sort of incrementally at a very, very small local level, you are doing something useful mm. in the world. But I don't think I um my whole point about having an avatar was that, you know, there is quite a lot on the record about Julian's pretty accurate and pretty obviously awful uh i wanted to um i mean is it setting the record straight i, I wanted to explain why it's awful right mm. right okay but there's so because these i mean lucia's being written about i mean mm. it was in the this yeah so there's the first year of the i think we've had lucia books in the three years of the prize oh yeah there you go. um <laughs> this is an interesting topic uh, and I, there is this chance there's another one coming out yeah. for, with blue moon press so, so she she and so there are people who um that writers gravitate to and want to say something about well, that's what lucia i mean if, if, rather than setting the record straight mm. i think it is an intervention into the record Right, I'm not sure whether it's setting anything straight. Mm. It might be overstating its claims as a kind of counterweight to the understatement of claims that have been made previously. If you look at something like Carol Schloss's To Dance in the Wake, mm. which was the Joyce Estate butcher, but they had they removed parts were removed mm. prior to um, them falling out of copyright. And various, it's it seemed very clear when you read most of the work on on um, Lucia Joyce that things weren't being said. Um, despite the fact that they are people were euphemistically hinting at them throughout, mm. and I think that that some of the kind of hyperbole of um, of Lucia is in reaction to that that understatement, which I think is a is a particularly a kind of pernicious form of statement, uh, because if you can't take responsibility for those things that you want to say or you're unable to say, then things don't get said, and I think that's the other. I mean, even if it's tricky. You don't want to accuse people of things that they didn't do, nor am I in a position to determine which one of those things is true and which one of those things isn't true. But it seems that if the if the literary record on a particular topic is failing consistently to say something, then there's nothing, then it might be a useful space for literary work mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. fictional work to intervene because we already know that I don't know what I'm talking about. So consequently, you don't really have to take me seriously. And yet the thing gets said, right, one way or another, which I think is, is, a, is an, again, an uncomfortable position to be in uh, and it doesn't really make sense. But I think that's part of, if we're thinking about setting the record straight, it's not so much that because no one can expect fiction to do yeah, that, but I, they can expect to, it to I intervene. I think the thing is, you know, fiction and art more generally can be true without being the truth. Yeah, sure. You know, that's, that's, yeah. that's really what we're looking at. That's yeah. the function of sort of metaphor well to take us away from something so that we get closer to it in mm. a funny kind mm. of way. So when I give my Turing avatar, um, you know, rather sort of hypnagogic material about, yeah, philosophy of mind and whether the world is material or whether there's something else going on and the point of view doesn't, Mm. you know, Mm. our point of view doesn't belong Mm. in the material world. I'm not doing it because I think that um, this is something he must have thought that mm. needs to sort of rest alongside his his stated aims. I mean, I think he'd be appalled. Mm. But I am doing it because I think I find it hard to imagine someone who is a material scientist going through this bodily transformation that's, that's very mm. painful, not thinking about the place of that pain in his worldview. Mm. I mean, you... Uh, uh, Sorry, um, um, let me think about how to answer, ask this question because when I read your book, it seems to me that it, it, it does expand the possibilities of how he thought to the, the kind of the more narrow interpretation of him as a kind of mathematician, computer scientist, mm. materialist, um, forefather of AI all of those things it's actually as quite grand things but they're they're also they are quite narrow in well, terms he, of philosophy of mind in terms of yeah. and and in 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 your novel it seems to me that you're saying that he was he the, the, the avatar is open to um uh more metaphysical yes. uh, experiences I and think possibilities possibly, yeah and and I think maybe that's because if you have um, a very defined area of interest, sort of by definition, you leave a lot of doors open mm. because there's a lot you're not so interested in or you feel you can't touch. And actually, he's, there, there are a number of statements you know, to that effect mm. in his papers. It's not that he... Um, he, he was... Ab- he, as it were, registered, offered an open verdict on what free will was, whether it really existed or mm. not, which is a sort of quite astonishing statement mm. for someone like him to have made. Yes. But, and it gives you a, um, a good leaping off point f- then for I- imagining in fictional terms. I, I think, too, that the foundational loss of his friend at school mm. um, just was something that, that ticked over in his life and he knew underwrote a lot of his activity this apparently material you know scientist logician um very very brilliant um applied mathematician has behind all that this enormous sense i think of of doing the work that the person he loved should also have done Mm. and might Mm. have done better 
Right. I mean, I think that that is an incredibly moving and poignant um, burden for someone to have carried. Mm. Is it the what? whole book mm. is a process mm. of wondering about what that, yes. you know, that, that, that does to someone. And there's, a, I mean, there's a moment in, I think, if I'm right to read, the moment in the book where, where, where Alan Turing or the, 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 the Avatar or, or you, the author, uh, <laughs> um, says, about, says about AI, um, AI or that, that if, if, if machines, as it were, um, had consciousness, we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily recognise the consciousness that they had. Yeah. Is yeah, that... Is, yeah. is that, is that, is me, but I think that it is a version of something, he said, mm. um, which is that when... Um, machines, you know, become conscious and capable um, and begin doing things we can't understand, we won't know what they're really thinking. Right. You know, the definition of consciousness mm. is separation. Yes. And, and that, which is, you know, a whole other really, really complicated thing because we all know when we look at people's behaviours that the surface doesn't infer the depth, you know, and that actually you can't tell from someone's blinking, I'm looking at you now, exactly what they're thinking. Um, but then you have ideas about what they're thinking, which are often very accurate because of mannerism, um, likeness, um, physiological, physiognomic likeness. And the truth is about, I think the way he thought about these things was that you get very close to other people and then you get no further. Mm. And it's the no further that matters. It's mm. the no further that makes us sympathetic or not, whether we choose to sort of um, in, in think about that carefully mm. or whether we decide that people are unknowable and we don't care. It's that acting as if. Yeah, as if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I and think is very way, important. Yeah. I mean, are, are conscious machines going to have the same discussions... No, presumably not, because they will be... I mean, I, th I think, well, this is not really... So this is me. This yeah. is me. This is Mike Garvey's And this right. is me. You know the end. Yeah. You now need to sing. <laughs> you know, sing with a, a very really, bland voice. Really bad song. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, oh, no, I've lost my thread. No, no. Yeah, it, so... It, it, there's a number of things about... Um, <laughs> a number of things about machines thinking... One of the suggestions is that, which a number of um, uh, computer mm. science bots have, have thought about, is that capacity will be so great from, from, from mm. our point mm. of view. Capacity will be so great, particularly in um, data manipulation and, and um, algorithms and, and memory, that uh, thinking machines may well need some kind of emotion in order to make decisions because so many things will be open to them. So mm. many possibilities mm. will be there. In actual fact, most of our decision-making processes are informed by emotion mm. and the people character who have very cauterized emotions and, and difficulties in there are, are sort of paralyzed. So a, a lot of the people who are traditionally committed to uh, mm. sanatoriums and asylums were people who had no kind of, their emotional field wasn't controllable in any way. So therefore they couldn't really make decisions. Mm. They'd be paralyzed. Mm. Um, you know, th this is a version of madness is an excess mm. of possibility, mm. the old mm. uh, saying. Um, 
And I think that's going to be possibly true of computers, mm. that they will have such capacity that they will need something like our emotions, but possibly something different in mm. order to select. But does that, is that suggest that, that, does that suggest that without that, it it can't happen. So, so there, there needs to be that. There needs to be some step change. Otherwise, yeah, interesting. They ju- I don't know. Otherwise, I, otherwise, all they do, all they do is, ha- is have capacity. I don't know because uh, I don't know because, of course, you don't need to be conscious in order to be very, very effective. Mm. You don't, or you don't need to have a kind of very uh, highly developed consciousness, whatever that is. Um, there are plenty of things that live very happily you know in the organic world symbiotically with with more complicated organisms mm. that have a very very successful evolutionary niche but is, is this you know, a, a kind of prejudice on our part to imagine that consciousness requires yeah. desire then i mean is that i think possibly mm. yes i think you can't when something speciates it then occupies a new realm right you know and it, it, and some of it is predictable and some of it isn't i'm trying to work out whether a teleological consciousness would be yeah I mean, it was would well no I mean, one no one just really knows solid state <laughs> I, <laughs> remaining I, I think in and of itself this i mean this has been the it has been the problem since descartes but mm. it's it's still yeah, a big sure. fight between people like you know daniel dennett and and um uh, and thomas nagel you know the the, the material mm. reductionists versus the um mm. people who are think it's all a bit more mysterious um and actually, it is. Both sides say the matter is resolved, and so but it's not resolved. It's mm. it, it is very difficult because the thing that the thing that science relies upon is stripping out um, bias, nuance, things that muddy the picture, mm. so that we get a material sense of how things actually lie in the world of forces and particles. Mm. The trouble is when the thing you want to look at is the thing mm. you're stripping out, yeah. mm-hmm. i.e. nuance and bias and consciousness, what then do? what do you do? Yeah. And, and that is the paradox that hasn't... The, that's at the, the centre of all the problems in the debate, and mm. I don't know what the answer is. Well, you, that's what oh, we've really? just I, done. I, <laughs> I thought that's what we got you in for. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, mean, we've, I, I was going to... Uh, a couple of things I wanted to talk about, but I, I don't think we've got time, so we're not going to. Um, well, you run out of tape. And I'm right. Well, we can go on. I mean, because uh, it's digital, Alex. Yeah. There's no tape. <laughs> There's no tape. One of them was was going to talk to you about the, the chapter about the lady and the lapdog in in Lucia. Oh because, yeah, because, I've already told you about that. In I know. The pub. You, I know you have, but it but but it was so. Um, oh, that's creepy. That. It was, yeah, it's yeah. not. But, it's but, but okay, one. so this is a question to you. Did you? Did you? What did you think you were reading when? Because 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 it's one of my favourite short stories, and mm. I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't understand the the angle. Well, did, it, it, I I felt like I so my reading of that was that it, it was a mar, it was a marvelous kind of in sort of internal gloss on the story. So you were taking you were finding sort of it was almost like you'd picked apart bits of the story with a needle, and mm. then you'd kind of inserted whole new fantastic imaginings and it wasn't quite clear where all the kind of brutal stuff in that Mm. comes from but 
I think it's just from the the, the brutalizing atmosphere around Lucia. Yeah, I mean, everyone's for the it, podcast. It, people are looking at me now with expe- <laughs> expectations yeah. of reification from my part. I'm reluctant to get to say. what I mean, I've, I've told you in the pub what I th- what I, what I was thinking when I wrote it. But, I can, but, but do we? So just just be really kind of straightforward. Is that story? Is that story? Is that story meaningful? In I mean, it, did you just choose a short story with which to approach with the approach that you had? Okay, or, let's or, imagine that there's a person whose father is a writer, yeah. and that father seems to be very much influenced by another writer, and then disavows that um, influence. Right, and then that person then goes on to be put in an asylum mm. by essentially her own family and longs for the father, but simultaneously feels hatred and also had a whole bunch of shitty things happen in, mm-hmm. in their life. Mm. You unpick, as Will points out, the existing story, in this case, the lady with the dog, um, and reinsert, so back in, parts of the biography, parts of a kind of anxious dealing with the father's disavowal of his obvious literary predecessors, Part of your own inability to deal with uh, experiences that might have happened to you in your life, right? whichever those would be. And that's the kind of thing that you would then come to, this retelling of this problematic material with biographical material interleavened. And it's kind of it. what you do when you read something that really fires you up anyway, isn't yeah. it? Because you sort of be find yourself like reading it and then, you, and then you kind of you find yourself inserting into the, the story you're enjoying uh, all, all the kind of dispersed stuff and associations mm. that it's that it's calling up and that's yeah. what's that's what's lovely about reading and that's yeah. i mean i i get that feeling when i read um well a lot of people but um you know uh, often 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 with flaubert has that kind mm. of effect for me because it's it's, it's so un, it's it's so unexpected that something so highly disciplined and sufficient unto itself can open so many doors for me mm. and can be so, as it were, porous at the same time. You know, you, there's a fantastic, one of his three tales, the last one, the least famous in a way is Herodias. And it's it's a very interesting angle on the Salome story. Mm. And, it, you know, it's from mm. Herod's wife's angle, except that she's not really present in it. Now, this is, you know, the the great sort of uh, mm. story we've all grown up with reading in, in, in various sort of ways, regardless of our, you know, our religious persuasion. But it seems so like a squabble in a family. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and you can't read it with all this sort of mayhem going on without actually just thinking of something terribly ordinary happening around a dinner table. Mm. Mm. And he has that ability, I think, to um, make you uh, make you forget about, while dressing scenes beautifully, better than almost anyone does in 19th century fiction mm. and with great discipline and care, so that you absolutely can see people at the window listening to other people mm. across the square. You, you know you know what the horses are like, you know what the carriage is like. Mm. At the same time, it all disappears and all you can see is, you know, your humdrum environment and what these characters mm. mean in your life. It's, I mean, it is a very, very, very extraordinary skill 
which is much more than a skill which I don't have, you know, and, and I, I think very, very, very few people have had. Mm. I'm always, sorry, I keep saying things that Alex has said to me, but I remember when... <laughs> <laughs> I remember... Yeah, that you didn't understand at the time. Yeah. Because you were, <laughs> no, um, was, was, was talking about, you know, Flaubert and precision is, is when I was talking... Because I did a podcast with the Galley Beggar crew and Alex and, and um, Paul Sandbridge was there and I was saying, you know, we've got this extraordinary long list of 13... Um, I don't know how we're gonna, how we're gonna, you know, distill it down. And you just shouted out technique. <laughs> <laughs> you want us, you want you want us to, you want us to look at the book and go, yeah. Who is the te- technically the well, best? Well, I, I hadn't read Will's book at this point, so I wouldn't have said that if I had. Right. Because uh, <laughs> his technique is superb. But, oh, but, 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 well, it's but, just. But, Gorgeous. Well, when I came up to you after you read my book, you went, it, "Okay, it's technically fine. Now we can, now we can, now we can talk about it." I've, you know, I, I've part. It's past. It's past that <laughs> it's that bit works. of the exam. Yeah. Um, um, the English. Um, well, just quickly tell tell me about technique, because I'm I, I'm interested in the idea that 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 there is a that craft is really about making sure that the reader knows what's in the room and where things are and if someone's talking to them they are they are in a place where the other person can hear and that that is a thing that one has to work I at think a that's sentence one of the by things sentence level definitely once that's got though then there are levels of, of kind yeah. of complication that that i mean like to make will blush but the precision and the 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 degree to which every single word seems to be chosen perfectly in every single sentence of the book that you've written it's just i mean like I, it's it's a discipline should, should that i don't have but as i was reading it i was like you know i i'm a terrible neurotic so i was going through this and thinking Wow! Why? How could? Why does he write so much better than me? I was like, "This is so much better." This is, and then Diff- I picked up my own book, and I was like, "For fuck's sake, what is differently. this?" Differently, yeah, there is. Sorry, I want to get into just because because this I, I've I've wanted to read this passage, uh, you know, <laughs> at, at the at the shortlist and at, and at the and at the winners thing because because obviously your your novel is full of what we might call prose poetry for for whatever word. So it's very hallucinogenic or hypnagogic or. And then, the, and then, and then there is. I think this is slightly kind of Flaubertian, if that's right. It's um, uh, the, the 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 Alan Turing avatar is talking to what well, must be a avatar of his brother, and he says, "When I told him I'd been arrested and what my crime was, he grabbed the desk, held it between finger and thumb, in his stripes and collar and tie, he looked as henchmen do in thrillers when a knife catches them in the back." Now, when you write that, you just think, well, I can go home now. <laughs> I've, I've, I've nailed that. Um, because, because in a sense, I can imagine everyone making a huge fuss rightly over many passages in, in the book. But it seems to me in a paragraph, that in his stripes and collars and tie, he looked as henchmen do in thrillers when the knife catches in the back. It's <laughs> that tension of gunning. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it. It, I think it's, it is. It is just. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, well, it's very. So your image very, focus, though, you were talking about earlier, which I think is, is something I don't. I don't have the patience for. I think, or sometimes, but in very short bursts. But you seem to have focused in on the image in every single sentence. Yeah, I think it's how I write. I mean, yeah. I think I just for me, unless I can absolutely see it. Yeah. Mm. 
there's no hope. I mean, the reader probably won't see it anyway, but I, th- th- that is my guiding principle. It must be seen. Yes, yeah. we'll see that. So, it so, must yeah. be seen. Yeah, so that's... I mean, the that... rest of the kinesthetic stuff, great, mm-hmm. but actually even that has to be seen. Yeah. And, and uh, I think your, this is, comes back again to a, a kind of faith in human beings that you both seem to possess, or you may well possess, I'm not sure. And one less, so, less so these days. I feel you. much more antagonistic towards the reader than either of you seem to. <laughs> I, I want to punish... Them. I don't know why. No. See, it's I don't want them to like it. I don't want them to see it. It's taken its, to it's, taken its 55 minutes, 56 <laughs> minutes to get to actually something that... I, I like writers. I don't like readers. But <laughs> people who see feel that too. I mean, the you know, I think it was Nicola Barker who, who's very funny about these things and she said, she said, I feel quite... <laughs> you know, I do care about what the readings yeah. I mean, I have to say I do. But um, but she says, you know, she feels a bit sorry for her readers because her books, she says, are like paintings. Mm. You know, when they're done, they're done. She yeah. can't get back into them. They're, they, they're hung on the wall. That's it. Right. It's a canvas. I, I, I kind of understand that, I mm. think. I mean, my, mine's a bit more of a sort of tapestry canvas. I'm a bit more yeah. punctilious, I think, about. Yeah, you know, I can't knock it out the way she can. But you, yeah. but both of you. Well, you're much shorter, so you don't have to write. <laughs> but you, but there's something that there's a difference in what's. So you both of you make the reader work quite hard at times. It's not you know um, you know I'm a you know reasonably you know uh, you know I read books I write books but uh, but neither neither book is 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 a, a kind of pure unadulterated kind of reading pleasure if you will it's you know you there is there are moments where you're 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 required to work quite hard cognitively in both books quite hard emotionally Mm. in both books to ask yourself what what it is you're supposed to be um what approach you're supposed to have it's you know you're, you're not you're not you're not saying to the reader you're not you're not holding the reader's hand and guiding them and saying i'm going to orientate you to to do you know i think that's true actually of an awful lot of novels Mm. really i think it's a relatively small period of time in which people wrote things that you kind of sort of fell into more transparently Mm. and that told a story and then you were out in sort of you know 230 300 pages and i think it's basically late 19th century to around about the end of the 1930s you know, excluding Joyce yeah, uh, and, in fact, modernism. Because I think actually after that uh, and before that, things are really, really quite complex. It's difficult. You read Defoe, mm. it's not actually it's not that easy. Rollicking read, is it? No, it's not easy. And, and it's very confusing. Journal of the Plague Year is mm. a really extraordinary... I mean, I think it's a fantastic mm. book, but it's very, very difficult to work out Who's telling this story? Where is it going? Is it actually a drama or is it just a sort of list of you know, mortality statistics? Mm. Tenant of Wildfeld Hall. I mean, you know, it's half the book has gone by before you get to the story. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, mm. you know, it's Even something simple like my son read um, Peter Pan after having seen various Tinkerbell Disney type productions on the TV. The first couple of pages of Peter Pan are, are completely indecipherable. They're yeah. just, they're not about children even (laughs) just like these random kind of things about romance even even, you know quite a lot of really good very successful unfairly called pulp writing Mm. is hard yeah elmore leonard 
Yeah. It's very dense. It's hard. You know, you have to work quite hard to know who these people are in the scenes. There's like Chekhov, you know, because mm. you've got about seven people all talking at once. I mean, he's so brilliant that you do end up knowing who they are with very little description. Mm. But it's not easy. No. I mean, I think what impressed me about Murmur was there was so much pleasure on the page. It was even when you're talking about things that are very disturbing, right? If you were to imagine an off-page scenario in which all of this stuff was taking place, uh, you would be like, I mean, appalled and are appalled. But they're line by line. It, it does read like poetry. Um, it, and the pleasures no, of no, it... No one reads yeah, poetry. No, well, no one reads my stuff either, so it doesn't make any difference. Whereas I think I'm much, much more concerned with off-page... It's like when I read your book, I, I had a kind of understanding of, of what the things I do on the basis of the fact that you were doing something completely different. The same when I was when I when I read Murmur, I kept on thinking, well, why don't I do this? Why well, is it you I just copy you, this? You're, you're very you're really sweet. I think you just have to. I mean, I've, I've honestly simplified it down to I, I begin and then five years later I end. And somehow I have to make a shape yeah. of mm. the chaos. It's all about making a shape mm. of something. But I've, as I said to you, to now I'm talking about something I said to you. Yeah, okay, After reading your book, yeah. I, I said I felt very jejun <laughs> as, as a writer. I said I thought to myself, you know, what, what, what was I thinking writing as night? I mean, I, you know, I, obviously well, I did good, write a 19, I, I did write I did write a nineteenth century book almost kind of by, mm. by 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 design. But but actually, the idea that I wrote a book where inhabited by characters that did things and uh, had effect on other characters mm. and whatever. It it did suddenly feel feel as though I I was inhabiting that I was I was a very childlike writer writing and and, and I think that's so I in a sense I I do probably have you know I do hand hold in but then it was but then I suppose I was writing a nineteenth century novel. I really, think it's so. as hard. I mean I I think I think it's to be honest I do think it's all difficult. I think it's hard mm. to write that kind of thing. I think I think it's I think it's hard to write something you know that that, that doesn't do that. Um, but I think I, I, I'm I, not I'm not terribly aware of the difference when I'm writing because I I am trying. <laughs> you may not believe me, but I am trying to tell a story. Mm. You know I do I do set a lot of store by the, you know, the old aspects of the novel Forsterous yeah, sure. thing of, you know, the novel tells the story and I, I'm just trying to do it in a way that I think may may not have been done in quite this way before. I don't I don't really have much interest in novelty. Mm. I don't think of myself as an ex, as, as being very, no. very experimental. But I just But both of you hmm. taken but I mean the 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 form if you know, everyone keeps saying that your novel is about consciousness, so let's, for argument's sake, say it is about consciousness. The form of the novel gives a sense of consciousness, yeah. And so, you know, and so, you know, novels that that, cho that choose the form that kind of deliver the the kind of the meta experience um, are often, you know, very you know very successful as reading experiences, and you know you. You did something, I think, which was even more kind of paradoxical, which is this this thing about empathy that you've mm. talked about is is that you you almost extracted what one would naturally do in order to create empathy, the tougher kind of empathy mm. that you talked about. In you you've extracted that and said, now try and feel, now mm. try and now try and feel mm. what it's like work really hard 
to. But then to... I give you the end. So you do. You do. I think. I. Th- I think you know main characters who are kind of missing. It, it, it is is a thing. Mm. You know. I think that's that, that happens more often than not. And actually, as you write, I think you often find that your main character mm. is strangely absent to you. Yeah. It's, it's much easier to write the other. Well, this is what I'm feeling about the book it. that I'm doing, which is genre. So um, I'm not sure whether it's a problem or not. But the central character in that is 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 become blank to the point it's of very inaccessibility. Do. <laughs> I don't know what they. Do. I mean, they, things happen around them, and but as always, like, I think Forster talks about flat and round characters yeah, yeah, at one yeah. point. It's always the flat characters that are more interesting. Yeah. The I round think he's right about that sometimes. You get, well, you, he he, he they're like, memorable. He talks about them being memorable yeah, in the way that yeah. you know, Mister Bumblethwack or whatever it is. Yeah, different. Yeah. <laughs> isn't there is no chooses, Bumblethwack? Like, well, is he, there? He, he, he picks the. Um, Remember who he, he picks, picks the character Stein, from Stondal, isn't it, or something like that? Okay. Oh, well, it's Dickens. It's, is Chus- it Dickens. it's Chuzzlewit. I thought there was something from the. Mm. Oh, Mister So and So is always God. Which one is it from? Anyway, I'm not going to remember. So, but um, is, but is, is it Julian Sorrell from the Red and the Black? Yeah. No, no I'm not saying he was, but 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 from what you're saying, that I think that Julian Sorrell is that, isn't it? Mm. Isn't he? Um, I, we obviously have gone way over time. Not that it matters, but so you. you you're about to publish another novel this year. Hmm. Do, you yeah. to, do you want to quickly download us on that? Uh, I can. I'm not sure that the the kind of people who are interested in the Republic of Consciousness podcast are going to be as interested in this. I th- it depends. I mean, Gally Beggar liked it, but it is well, they're my publishing f- it, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. Well, of course. No. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> they're publishing it rather right. than anyone else. <laughs> Because because um, <laughs> they're my publishers, um, yeah. So I, I came into like my love of reading through fantasy and science fiction. So this is a fantasy novel, right. which I'm really hoping does brilliantly well, so that I can just stop agonizing over creating silhouettes of people and just think about s- story and pleasure, narrative pleasure, which I think is I think you'll find me much more approachable as a writer <laughs> uh, to the reader than than you would have done in the in the literary fiction stuff. I do care. Perhaps I don't care about literary fiction. I don't know. Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps I d- despise the readers of literary fiction, <laughs> particularly. <laughs> very much the, love the, the readers. The longer we go on, we're now at 105 <laughs> minutes. In the, Will, where are you? Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm afraid. I. It's, are you done? I, I'm. For, a I'm, mo- for the I'm, moment. I'm done for the moment. I mean, I, I think I've. Um, I, 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 all, all my life so far, you know, like Alex, I'm sure I've, I've, I've run a full-time job alongside mm. writing it, and I've, I'm just beginning to feel I've come to the end of that bit of elastic, mm. and I don't know what that means. I can't give up my job. Mm. Um, Have so you had I, a sabbatical recently? No, I, we'll have to see. We'll have mm. to see what happens. I've got a vague idea about something to do with Lon Chaney. Right. right. Um, but is it, does that mean right. that you're actually not writing i'm not writing at the moment so so you, you, you although go... i never know because I, I keep notes and i mm. kind of sort of and i write letters and i and i think it's all writing you know i think the emails i write are writing i think it's all part of the i don't think i, I you know that's why i'm not interested in being a writer mm. i don't think it matters if i'm a writer or not but i think because i'm i just like books and i like writing them and i like reading mm. them uh, and and i think that everything you do is sort of part of it so you, I, I have quite my a, emails no, I let Google write the last one to you. No, I can't. Really? I, yeah. I take said, a lot of... Look I forward to it. Really? <laughs> I, said, yes, I take quite a lot it. of care of my emails. Yeah, I I'm quite. Yeah, because I, I think they're all... It doesn't matter that I they vanish wrote, into what, nowhere. Didn't you not write, see you there to me? 
Yes, I did, but that was a text. That's, that's very ironic. It was a text. It was on an email, though. Was it? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm feeling it's quite short Out of place in your archive. <laughs> this is a man who just said, I take a lot of care over my emails. Unless they're to and you I now. Had see you, do you know what? There. But do you know what, actually? That is because my sister sent that to me and it struck me. I thought that's a bit like a Prince lyric. <laughs> right. yeah, I know everyone does it, but actually, that's of course, right. it is like a Prince lyric. So Right. Okay. So it was an illusion. Right. It's a prince. <laughs> to prince. You know anything. Right, it. okay, look. Okay. Um this is uh, yeah, this has been really great, really great. And um uh so thank you uh to both of my guests, Willies and uh, Alex Phoebe, and, and good luck, Will, for all of the shortlists that you're on. Yeah. Or what is it, nineteen now? No, is it the confusion that we kind of stupid working against this trying to figure out to put the two sticks together for the banana and we can't find it. I get that feeling all the time that I'm an ape trying to put the two sticks together. So I always feel stupid. Once in a while though, every the the banana the sticks go together on me and I reach the banana. People say to me, are you looking for the ultimate laws of physics? Are you looking for the ultimate uh, laws of physics? No, I'm not. I'm just looking to find out more about the world. And if it turns out there is a simple ultimate law that explains everything, so be it. That would be very nice to discover. If it turns out it's like an onion with millions of layers and we're just sick and tired of looking at the layers, then that's the way it is. But whatever way it comes out, its nature is there and she's going to come out the way she is. of physics. No, I'm not. I'm just looking to find out more about the world. And if it turns out there is a simple ultimate law that explains everything, so be it. That would be very nice to discover. It's going to come out the way she is. And therefore, when we go to investigate it, we shouldn't pre-decide what it is we're trying to do except to find out more about it. If you say, but your problem is why do you find out more about it? If you thought that you were trying to find out more about it because you're going to get an answer to some deep philosophical question. You may be wrong. It may be that you can't get an answer to that particular question by finding out. But I don't look at it. My, my interest in science is to simply find out about the world. And the more I find out, that it is I like to find out. The boy, Dave. Has become, has become a useless whelk of emotion. Who, who didn't with the have the stomach to continue with the abattoir. A useless whelk of emotion that has little or no control over his drippings. There is an explosion. There is an and an oil rig gushes oil into the gulf. Nobody went through two, but they went down great damage to the coastal regions. We then stir up a public area. It was a kind of a bowl. If you went down in, you'd have to climb back out. And there was no particular reason to we go. It was just in the way. So the everybody seemed to dodge it. So surprisingly, in spite of all these books, he about travels in Central Siberia, we found no information. Then one day, Feynman and Leighton came across a rare book published in Berlin in 1931 and written by the German historian and explorer Otto Menschen Helfen. I was the first non-Russian to set foot in the Republic of Tuva. 
It took a lot of trouble to obtain permission to go. I went as an ethnologist, pointing out that ethnologists are as harmless as mushroom connoisseurs or stamp collectors. I did not bring with me especially high expectations of Kizil, but what I encountered was nonetheless astonishing. The Kizil electric plant works only when the movie theatre is running. I saw the beautiful Podolkin film Mother there. Tuvins rode from far and wide to look at this wonder. The film broke at least 20 times that night. But that only made the audience happy. So much the better. Now the fairy tale would last that much longer. They couldn't understand anything, not the slightest bit. The subtitles were in Russian. They couldn't read them, but their pleasure was nevertheless unending. went crazy. They screamed and jumped up. They had a magnificent time. We make little mention of the men They had a magnificent time. They didn't worry at all about who was a gendarme and who was a revolutionary, because they didn't understand what the fight was about. Whoever just fired, that was their man. Only once were they incensed and raving. I didn't understand the reason. The film didn't show anything outlandish. Running feet, a raised arm, a face. But that was precisely why. What they were shouting was translated for me. We paid full price. Why do you show us just a foot? Where is the head? We want to see a whole person. Why do you make the screen so small? We demand a screen on which a whole person has room. We want a big screen. A big screen. Big screen. To earth. And he is onto us. It has everything. And it still, as far as I know, earth. has everything. He is onto us. We had discovered, you see, a Shangri-La, a place in the world that nobody visited in a long time. And so we all, right then and there, said, we got to go there, of course. The, it's the adventure of our science of physics that perpetual, is in a perpetual attempt to recognize that the different aspects of nature are really different aspects of the same thing. That all the phenomena that you see, the great variety of different things, can all be explained, perhaps, as uh, different aspects of some underlying business or some underlying laws or some underlying simplicity. We instigate the removal of the we CEO from the, the British company the that owns the oil rig. He is replaced by an American. He is replaced. He becomes the first American CEO in the history of the British company. In the history of the British company. The dispersed British man then the takes up a position that the new American CEO had to leave under machine gun fire in Siberia. Under machine gun fire in Siberia. Under machine gun fire in Siberia. We now have an American in charge of we the now entire have an operation, in charge of the entire and have operation. gained control, and have.